Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Good evening and welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, 1917. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a different location, we are actually at the professor's uh, laboratory. Uh, My name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. Sir, yes, sir. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Evening, governor. Yeah, and you told me not to do the English accent, so good, good, good to know. Good to know. Uh, how you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm here, so that's a good thing. Is it? I I think so. Okay, well. I guess time will tell on this one. Uh, 1917, this was the professor's period pick. Yep, I I thought, you know, when it comes to a period piece, the period is right in the title of the movie. Kind of hard to say that this isn't a period piece when it's right in the title. 1917? Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. The period of time is, in fact, 1917. Hello. All right. Just making sure, making sure. Uh, why else did you pick it? I also believe that this is a beautifully shot movie. And I am, I was confident that neither of you have seen it. As a matter of fact, I'm confident Don has seen it, or John has seen it. Have you watched this movie yet, Don? Uh, yeah, I just finished it up this uh, afternoon. Okay. I don't know if I believe you and if you're just going off of notes and you really haven't watched it. You know what? I got to be 100% honest with you guys. I was really dragging my feet watching this flick. Oh, I got that right off the bat. Um, so even though we had to push uh, recording off a couple of days, I would go home and I go, do I want to watch it? And I go, no, it's going to be like six hours. It's a fucking war movie. Uh, I liked it better when they called it Dunkirk. And I just kept going on and on in my head. Oh, boy. We should talk a little bit about Dunkirk versus 1917. I don't know if we'll get into that or not. but I, I liked it better when they called it Lord of the Rings. Of, well, of course you would. Um so yeah, I, <laughs> I I dragged my feet, and but I did watch it but from it, beginning to end, and I'm not lying about it. So there you go. Let's go for it. Yeah, I I just thought that since neither of you had seen it, I I think it is a beautifully shot movie, and I thought that it would be worth discussing. You had seen it before. I have not seen it before. Oh, this was your first time. This was my first time. How was it? Well, should I tell you now or should I wait till my review? Uh, give me give me a recap of your first time in three words. It didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. It was more than three words, but good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's kind of positive. So, I, I will honestly say I actually enjoyed the movie. Oh, right on. 
down to four words. Yeah. Pretty good. That is pretty good. Released on December 4th, 2019 in London, Christmas Day 2019 in the United States, and on January 10th, 2020 in the UK, this movie was directed by Sam Mendes, written by Sam Mendes, Christy Wilson-Carnes, stars uh, George McKay, Dean Charles Chapman, Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Richard Madden, Claire Dubrock, Colin Firth, and Benedict Cumberbatch. This movie was made for $95 million and brought in $385 million. So not too bad on the money front. It's pretty impressive because of a, due to, I think, to, of a lot of issues, it had a very limited release originally. Well, what were the issues? Well, COVID. Okay, was COVID back then? Uh, COVID happened just after theatrical release. So, I don't remember that because COVID started to shut things down around March, and this was released at in December okay. around Christmas. Yeah, because it was definitely in the theaters. Didn't you see it in the theaters? I did. Yeah, I remember, and you kept telling me, "Dude, you got to see this, dude. You got to see this." And well, I never saw it. No, so. did you <laughs> see it? I forced you, <laughs> Professor. Totally. Did you see it in IMAX? I don't recall seeing it in IMAX necessarily. Yeah, the director said that uh, this movie was made for IMAX. So I'm curious to see how it would look and sound in IMAX. Um, bigger and louder than what you saw on your TV, probably. Oh, okay. Well, that helps. Yeah. Well, thanks I mean, for painting that visual picture. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you want me to tell you. It I was mean, that's what. That's what. That's, that's what IMAX is going to bring you: bigger and louder. On April 6, 1917, as a regiment assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. So what makes this a period piece? Because uh, it says it in the title because it happened in 1917 and it's 2021. Well, I figure of the four <laughs> criteria it was required to be a period piece, a biopic, costume drama, historical romance, or historical epic, this fits right well into the historical epic genre of a period piece. I agree. The fact that it's set in World War One tells me it's a period piece. I was thinking about that as I was watching this. Is it more of a war film? But then I started thinking, well, aren't all war films... Period, period pieces, pieces at some point and then i started thinking fuck everything you watch could be technically classified as a period piece so i move from now until the end of time that we don't ever talk about period pieces again at least we're not going to uh use it as a central focal point for a movie fair enough if i say drama and you want to get all clever and funky with it cool so be it bloody right it's a little bit like calling like a zombie movie a food movie. Well, they do eat brains. Okay, time will tell on that motherfucker because we still have his food movie to pull out of the yeah, hat. Yeah. I swear to God, dude, if it's like Night of the Living Dead or something, I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Uh, regarding the genre for this movie, uh, I was doing some reading on it, and even the director doesn't really describe it as a war film. He describes it more of a thriller, and I think that definition fits better than war film because it's more about two people running through a situation that you don't know around any turn they could be shot they could fall into a hole they could have another explosion so it's just a kind of a thrilling ride the whole the whole movie yeah okay it's still a fucking war film 
and okay. he and he's got to admit it too. It's well, set it in World War Two, World War One. It's about soldiers. It, that's the setting, but I feel like it's more of a thriller than a focus on war. You don't actually see a lot of the war happening. So you just you, see the, them running through the streets and running through the farm and running through everything else. So you consider 1917 a thriller, not a war movie? No, I didn't say it's not a war movie. I said it's more of a thriller. So you according consider to more Sam, of a focus, according so, to Sam Mendes. Yes, the director. Yeah, I I know who Sam Mendes is. Um, well, he's wrong, and it's a fucking war movie. That happens to be a Perry piece. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, dude, I we allowed Moulin Rouge, uh, nineteen seventeen for sure fits. Did did you allow that one? Well, I mean, we recorded <laughs> it. I'm in the middle of editing it, so yeah. I when mean, I think people listen to it, I think they're going to disagree on your allowance. No, oh, I I have no. Everyone's going to call it a musical. It's a musical that happens to be but a I, Perry piece. No, fuck off. This is a musical as well. You know, <laughs> and I thought about that when it got to that scene. I went, oh, for fuck's sakes, are we singing again? And yeah, we were. Hats off to you, Professor, for picking 1917. The musical. The musical. So let's talk a little bit about this wanting to feel like one continuous shot. After I kind of found out that this was what it was about and after it started and how we started moving with the camera, I started trying to find the cuts. Mm-hmm. I knew that would be a constant distraction for you. And it took me out of the movie. Because that was what you were paying more attention to. And I fucking found some of them, fucking for sure, uh, even backed up by the behind-the-scenes making that I watched before <laughs> coming over here. But, um, yeah, it, it just kind of took me out of it. Now, when I wasn't thinking too hard about it and going along for the ride, it is. It's beautifully shot. And uh, I guess there are 91% of the film has one or some sort of visual effect shot in it. 91% of mm-hmm. that film. So, And the longest single cut is about eight and a half minutes. Oh, I, I heard it was six, but eight no. and a half? The, the, shortest, the shortest was about 38 seconds. The longest was eight and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. And you can see it. Um, some of the spot, some of the cuts uh, were, uh, to me obvious choices where to where to switch it up and then and then i started thinking about it as a visual effects film and then i'm thinking oh fuck anytime you don't have a human being in the frame you can make a cut because everything else is digital and you can just bring it right in or when they go through a door frame or well they're not they're not in the smoke they're not yeah, yeah but they're not in the frame yeah the, the human beings are gone. Like going through the door frame, it's masked with black. Yeah. Uh, going through the, when he falls into the water, it's masked from the, of the ripples and everything that the water makes when he goes into it. So it's little things like that. When we pan up to the sky, uh, it's another uh, way you can get away with it. I know you said that it kind of took you out of the movie. It actually kind of drew me into the movie because I, you know, again, I also was looking for where the cuts were, but I was so impressed on the way that they covered up those cuts. That it wasn't, you know, you could tell where they were, but they weren't smacking you in the face. They weren't extremely obvious. They fit the film. So here's the thing about it. There are two hard cuts in this film. Does anybody know where they're at? Two obvious cuts. Well, there's the one where he gets shot in the head and gets knocked out and then wakes up later that night. Ding, ding, ding. That's one for you. Where's the other one? Was it when the explosion? Huh? Hard cuts. Was it the explosion when they got buried in the rubble nope. or falls in the water? Nope. He rolls into Where? the room. At the end, we cut to black. I was thinking that, but I thought that's stupid because 
cut to black. Or you could fade to black. Fade to black is not a hard cut. Yeah, I was thinking that, but I thought, no, he's talking about something else. And fuck you. <laughs> I, I really like, too, the real time in this. Except that, you know, the scene where he gets knocked out and wakes up at night, it all takes place in real time. What is it? Uh, I was wondering about that, and uh, I don't know. Why do you think Sam chose to do that for the movie? Well, he had to shoot it during the day because there were no lights. Because of the way he wanted to tell the story, he had to use cameras and equipment that were continuously on the move. And if you've ever been on a film shoot, you know you can't just pick up your lights and move them uh, while you're shooting. Right? So they did it all under the cover of clouds on sunny days uh, on location. Pretty impressive. It also kind of had a video game feel. Because you're basically following behind the main characters. Well, and then, and then I, I was kind of thinking about that, too, when he would say stuff like, uh, it was just the two of us, or now it's just me, or or whatever. I was thinking, well, it could be the three of us, because the audience has been going with you since mm-hmm. you left, right? And so uh, I counted two hard cuts, and the rest you really had to look for. But other than that, I'm shocked that this did not get nominated for Best Editing for the Academy Awards. Uh, how many did it win? It won. It won three for uh, for Oscars. It won it for cinematography, visual effects, and sound mixing. And this was the last year that they had sound mixing and sound editing separate. After this, sound yeah. was just sound. Yeah. But then the uh, the others that it got nominated for it got nominated for picture, director, uh, screen original screenplay, makeup, uh, production, music. And sound editing. Editing for sure because it was fucking seamless. Mm-hmm. And it it was fun. I mean, it, it was, uh, other than, you know, <clears throat> I say that it takes me out and sometimes it did. And and actually, it, uh, as I say that, in the very beginning, uh, when they first have their real bits of dialogue, uh, the ADR was so in my face. I could tell that they were in a studio recording this. They weren't outside. Um, and then I started thinking about it. Well, the way they're moving there's these cameras, there's no way they have boom operators with them. But watching the behind the scenes, it turns out they did. And then the equipment that they came up with this stuff, it's just fucking amazing. Well, one the of the things did it. the uh, costume designer did is they sewed lavalier mics into the costumes and made them specifically so that they would hear well through wool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I thought that was just very interesting. I, I think Sam chose to shoot it in this style because he wanted the uh, audience to feel tension and anxiety over the urgency of what it is that is laid before Blake and Schofield. These two soldiers have just stepped into an incredibly urgent and important mission that they are going to face perilous situations and there's no getting out of it. There's no break. And I think that's part of the reason why he chose to shoot it like that was so that way we could feel the anxiety and the tension as these soldiers are feeling it as we move through. On 6 April 1917, aerial reconnaissance has observed that the German army, which has pulled back from a sector of the Western Front in northern France, is not in retreat, but has made a strategic withdrawal to a new Hinberg line where they are waiting to overwhelm the British with artillery in the British trenches with field telephone lines cut two young British Lance corporals William Schofield and Tom Blake are ordered by General Aaronmore to carry a message to Colonel McKenzie of the 2nd Battalion of the Devonshire Regiment 
calling off a scheduled attack the next morning that would jeopardize the lives of 1,600 men, including Blake's brother Joseph. Schofield and Blake cross no man's land to reach the abandoned German trenches, but Schofield injures his left hand along the way. In an underground barracks, they discovered a tripwire set by the Germans, which is promptly triggered by a rat. The explosion almost kills Schofield, but Blake saves him, and the two escape. They arrive at an abandoned farmhouse where a German plane is shot down in a dogfight with Allied aircraft. Schofield and Blake save the burnt pilot, but the pilot stabs Blake and is shot dead by Schofield. Schofield comforts Blake as he dies, promising to complete the mission and to write to Blake's mother. Taking Blake's rings and dog tag, as well as Aaron Moore's letter, he is picked up by a passing British unit. All right, so this movie opens. Uh, Blake and Schofield are taking a nap. By a tree. Uh, by a tree, and Schofield is leaning up said tree, and you should pay attention to that because, well, you know what? Fuck everyone. That's how it ends. Even one step further. So it opens with Blake napping and then Schofield resting against a tree. And then when the uh, sergeant comes in and he tells him Blake to pick a man, Schofield is picked up by Blake with his hand. And the movie ends with Blake's brother shaking Schofield's hand. And then he goes and sits down by the tree. Uh, so we meet these two characters. They've been picked for, or one of them has been picked for a mission. Uh, and then Blake picks Schofield. They go in and talk to the colonel. The general. Um, the general, which is Colin Firth. Always a delight with Colin Firth. Um, and he tells them, you know what, uh, our our group of soldiers over here, they're uh, walking into a trap. Uh, you guys have about eight hours to get down there and give them this letter to call this off. Uh, if you don't, it will be a massacre. Also, Blake's brother is among the ones that could be massacred. So he has urgency. Yes, yeah. and which I got to tell you, again, kind of gave me a Saving Private Ryan vibe. Now, do you know why this movie is set specifically April 6, 1917? The Hindenburg line of which they're referring to doesn't necessarily happen until a couple of months later. Yeah, but the date is actually when the Americans, when the USA entered the war. So they didn't know that the Americans had announced that they're joining. So it just goes to show it was another day in the war for them, the day the Americans joined. Interesting. Did you find yourself looking at the backdrop as they moved through the trenches? Yeah, I kind of followed around and uh, was looking at what the other characters were doing. and How things looked. How things looked and thinking to myself... God, if someone sneezed or farted or did something wrong, uh, they'd either have to push through it or they'd have to reset and go again. Yeah, that that is certainly uh, one of the uh, setbacks that in- encountered uh, the production. There were there were some scenes that um, had uh, challenges because it's minutes long per take, and it could be anything along the way. Maybe one of the production crew stumbles and trips. Maybe somebody uh, missed their cue. Maybe there's a whole myriad of things that would happen. There were actually a few things that did happen. Uh, Extras tripping in the background, things falling over, things like that. And the director just kept it in because he felt it added realism to it. There's a scene later on that we'll talk about in the movie um, where... People are tripping, and the uh, the director just kept it in. Yeah, you're talking about the ridge line. 
Yeah, where he's running he, across he the battlefield and he yeah. runs into people and they yeah. just said, leave it. Which is funny because when it happened while I was watching it, I thought, oh, I bet you that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, always in the back of my mind, God, how long did this take? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what shooting was like. They had to rehearse everything. They had everything down to a T. They had to... They built their sets based on the dialogue. So if for however long it took from to walk from A to B and have this dialogue, that's how long that set was. Did you read how many like feet of trenches they dug? 5,200? It was about, yeah, I think it was around there. It was almost a mile. It was just under a mile of trenches that they dug for this movie. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, they had heavy machinery to do it, so mm-hmm. I guess it's not that crazy. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> trench life for the British was a lot different than the German. The Germans had a, uh, a a sense that this could be a long time, and so they made their encampments a lot more uh, accommodating. Some of their uh, tr- some of their trenches had electricity, mm-hmm. and as we saw, uh, they had underground bunk beds set up. And the British thought that this was going to be over in, in four months, whereas it ended up taking four years for it to be resolved. Yeah, they thought it was going to be yeah. over by Christmas. That's what they kind of allude to in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So we get this really long scene uh, called a movie, and uh, we're following these characters. And now we've we've gotten the orders. They're making their way through the trenches. You get to meet all the different people that they meet going through here. Uh, and then they get up and now they got to go through no man's land. So basically it's kind of a story about uh, two shorter people, two smaller people than normal soldiers who have to go behind enemy lines to deliver a precious note so that they can stop the bad guys. Is that kind of what the sum of it is? No, not at all. Okay. I, I think you're talking about Lord of the Rings. Oh gosh. And, yes, and, and I'm talking about this new action thriller called uh, 1917. So even though we have, you know, Burke who kind of, you know, B, Bilbo and Schofield, Blake. Samwise, I don't know. Yeah, but Frodo or Bilbo never died. Frodo did get stabbed in the stomach and Samwise did take up the ring because he thought that Frodo was dead. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. So are, so are you calling Sam Mendes a uh, ripoff artist? No, you know, I wouldn't because... What did Token base Lord of the Rings on? Oh, I don't give a shit. You are comparing Lord of the Rings to 1917. So no. let's talk about that. But 1917. So are you calling Sam Mendes a ripoff artist? No. Okay. I Just am making not. sure. The reason is, is Token based his, you know, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and all that off of his time while he was in World War One. Yeah. So absolutely. really, World War One is lord of the rings so a lot of there you should expect a lot of similarities and this story yes has a similar storyline to lord of the rings but it works in this movie well sam mendes's father as you saw as we see in the end credits he is credited for telling the stories he is his grandfather was uh five foot four and so because he was a shorter person this was very advantageous to have information get traveled back and forth. During World War I, it was only pretty much by word of mouth and notes. Mm. And the trenches commonly would be maybe 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, Fog sometimes could be up to 6 feet. So Sam Mendes' grandfather being 5'4", he could 
run very quickly, if you will, without having to worry about being hunched over. And so he was considered to be a, a, a prime person for delivering messages. But he didn't share any of these stories until he was in his 70s. After he got back home from World War One. you know, I think he was like 18, 20 years old. Didn't mm-hmm. talk about yeah, it. Yeah, he joined f- at 17. Yeah, he didn't talk about it for f- over 50 years. Do you think that maybe his grandfather was the inspiration for Bilbo? No. What if he knew Tolkien? I don't know. Can we get off this? I'm just curious. Jesus. So they get across no man's land, and then this is where they go down into the German bunkers, right? Mm-hmm. And then they find that uh, that big, large room. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. I was reading up on, you know, how much I love rats. Yes, yes, yes. And I was reading up on them. I guess during World War One and during wartime, rats tend to feed off of the dead corpses. Uh-huh. And they can actually get to the size of cats. Oh. Could you imagine? And so that was a common thing to see very large rats and, running and, around in these trenches and these bunkers. And going back and thinking about this movie and, and trying to put yourself in, in the character's shoes, if you will, uh, can you imagine if, uh, okay, Colin Firth sends these guys off to go save, you know, save the 1600 Middle men, Earth. Go save Middle Earth. And then five days later, they get another intelligence that says, oh, no, wait, you guys should attack. And so now you got two more guys that are five days behind him. God, that would suck. Another way that they would pass notes, they would also use dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you, did you see the dead dog on the side in the uh, yeah it, at it, the it, barnyard? Yeah, or the it, farmhouse. The yeah, the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that. That makes sense now because yeah, they did use dogs for notes. They, they used them also to train to kill rats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. rats were such a prevalent problem that rats would even come up and. Uh, They'd steal food right from your hand. Yeah. yeah. But the director did say no rats were harmed during the filming of this movie. The story that Blake gives about the uh, the hair gel. Yeah. That's a that's based on somebody's true account of uh, that happened to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes after uh, after they dig him out of the uh, which all the rubble. What'd you guys think of No Man's Land? Wasn't that just crazy crossing? Yeah, I felt a lot of tension. Um, I, I was expecting the other shoe to drop at any minute, like a, a gun would fire or someone would get shot or uh, yeah, a something. Because you something. didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And and again, it being one continuous shot, God, I that, mean, it just... That beautiful shot across that huge crater when yeah. we go across the water. Yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. So gorgeous. I was thinking to myself... and. Again, this takes me out of it, but for that split second, but I'm like, fuck, how are they doing it? Right. And then I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I bet you they're using like uh, the NFL does. They run it on wires. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the techniques. And another mm-hmm. one was uh, they built this rig for their cranes that uh, it the camera sits on the crane, they roll with it, and then two grips can come up, lift it up mm-hmm. uh, using a pole and run with it and put it on another crane to con- uh to continue with this continuous shot. And I was just saying, fuck, that's, that's pretty cool. But they had, they had another camera that they used. Uh, they referred to it as a, uh, a dragonfly. The dragonfly camera is a uh, camera stand that is held in your hand. It's probably like maybe twice the size of our microphone stand. And the camera is mounted on top of it. And, and so the, uh, um, the camera is controlled by uh, 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 Deakins. What's his name? His name is Roger. Roger Deakins. He 
is someplace else and he's controlling where the camera is looking, whether it's going sideways or forward. And so the person just has to carry it. And so that's how they can move through the, uh, the tight crowds of people sometimes is because the guy just has to walk holding the camera. Can I throw in mm-hmm. a quick trivia question? Sure. So Roger Deakin, who I believe was the director of cinematography or photography, yeah. what other movie was he the director of cinematography on that we have reviewed? That we've reviewed? That we have reviewed. The Big Lebowski. Well, there you go, Professor. That's why he is the professor. He didn't even give you a chance. I didn't even get a chance. (laughs) That's all right. Yeah, so yeah, he was also on The Big Lebowski. He's done a lot of Cohen films. We get to see the the two biplanes when they dive into that... when they dive into that crater and, and and then we get to see the airplanes again when they're walking along uh, towards the cherry uh, orchard. Right. But then we get something else that we learn a little bit more about, which I thought was uh, uh, it, it helps develop the characters a little bit more. So Blake, he is somebody that he's curious about um, how, how do we uh, find food and stuff like that. But it's gradually revealed that Schofield, he is somebody that's been around more because he was involved in the Battle of Somme, and he's talking about his his medal. You know, why'd you give your medal away? Right. And it's during that time that we learned that he's he's a lot more experienced than Blake is as a soldier because he was at this other battle. Yeah. Whereas I feel like then initially Blake seems to be because he's more gregarious and outgoing than than uh, Schofield. Who is a lot more demure and closed, right? And, and 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 I felt that too. Uh, is before they got up and out, uh, Schofield says, uh, "Age before beauty," right? Mm-hmm. So we knew that Schofield's older, kind of the more mature one, and and he kind of shows it uh, when uh, they start taking off to go on this mission right away, and he's all, "Wait a minute, we let's talk about this for a second, right, right, right." right. But Blake is fueled by emotional. That's his brother, so that's what's driving him. He so, is driven. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I can totally see one. You see one that. point that you just brought up um, is interesting because it actually foreshadows something that happens in the end of the movie. Per their discussion, when they're talking about medals and why did he trade his medal for a bottle of wine, he makes a comment that it's only a piece of tin, so it's not worth anything. But later on in the movie, and we'll get to this point, Tin saves the mission. Tin saves the mission? Tin is responsible for saving the mission. Because the letter was in his tin was in a tin box when he fell into the river, and he was able to keep it dry and keep it clear. So yeah, let's get to this farmhouse. So this, so this is kind of where I, I had my first, <clears throat> maybe not my first, but I, I kind of had issues with this scene. A, I didn't see them killing off Blake so quick. And he dies before half the movie's even halfway over. I know. And I was thinking, wait, that's his brother. He's he's supposed to be on this and mission. He, he is the he's the driven he's the driving force. Right. He's and he's the one that's supposed to survive. It's usually the other guy that gets right. Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. so when, so when the plane lands crashes. Crashes. <laughs> thank you. Conveniently in the farmhouse that they're standing. And hits the convenient post as not to run them over. Yeah. Um I'm I know this is so horrible of myself, but you know it is times of war. Why not just shoot the pilot in the head? Ironically, Blake it chooses to spare the pilot's life. Yeah. Now this isn't the first time he's screwed up like that because he spared the rat's life as well. He's he he's shown that he is hesitant in killing. And that's a good point. My my thought was when yeah you're absolutely right. Why not shoot the pilot because it is wartime. What happy in- ending did he think 
he was going to get out of saving the pilot's life. I have no idea. Don't know where that guy's head was. Yeah. What do you think, Ken? I thought that he just didn't necessarily have a stomach for doing the necessary deed of killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, he wouldn't even kill the rats earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now Blake dies, and I didn't see that come in, and now it's all on Schofield's hands. And then out of the blue, all these other soldiers show up. Where the fuck they come from? We didn't even hear them come into the scene. Like, you think you would have heard the cars, the vehicles, the soldiers marching in the mud. Something. Something. And, and then all, all of a sudden, sudden, they're just all over the place. Yeah, and all of a sudden, there's this colonel there talking to this dude. I took it as you have the, burn, the, the burning barn behind them, and that muffled the sound of the approaching convoy. It just seemed really sudden to me. You know what it did remind me of is the ending of The Mist. Do you ever see The Mist? I don't remember. No, I read it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how the book ends, but the movie ends with the dude oh, shooting everyone, and, yeah, then the, and, 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 and then and then the military comes up two up. seconds later, yeah. right? That's what I thought here. I thought, oh man, Blake just died, and now all of a sudden these guys show up. And the only thing I could of think of up. is that they were putting us a little bit in uh, Schofield's head that he's a little bit shell shocked at this moment. He's focused on you know the fact that Blake's dying and. We don't hear the army come up, the soldiers come up, because he doesn't hear him. He's so focused on Blake. And so that's the only reason I could think of of why we didn't hear these soldiers come in. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always that, that, that's always a possibility. Uh, but it is nice that they did show up because now they have a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I keep expecting the people that Schofield and Blake meet along the way, I keep expecting them to just fuck them somehow, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's wartime and people are assholes. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking like, uh, Max Strong makes an appearance here. Uh, the guy from Shazam and Green Lantern mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of good uh, films. I loved uh, how he Kingsman. came into frame. Yeah, yeah. It was really, it, it was uh, it was a nice shot, you know? Um, and I, I keep expecting these guys to be assholes and they're when they're not i'm pleasantly surprised right so now they're going to give schofield a lift and uh the truck gets stuck in the mud and they want to go get a branch or a tree to get him out and he's like no i don't have time for this uh, this is a super important mission explains it to everybody on the truck and they get the truck going and then they have that moment right um you well, know i do we'll, wanna, we'll help you i do want to give sam mendez a, a call out here, a lot of credit. Um, a lot of times in these war movies, especially in World War One movies, uh, the fact that Pakistanis and Indians were involved in the war, they had over a million soldiers helping the Allies in it. And you don't see that in other uh, World War or war movies, the fact that they were helping out. Over 100,000 Africans were helping out the Allies in these, you know, at these times. Sure. And he makes it a point to show them on the show one on the truck, you know, show the Indian on the truck with the other men. Yeah. And so I, I think that was a great, great thing to do. Yeah. Well, you know, he's got to do something to make up for the fact that he's ripping Tolkien off. So, you know, it, it's fine. Can I go back to Blake's death? I suppose. I, uh, two things about Blake's death. First thing, I, I thought it was so beautifully shot watching him die because we are forced to watch it along with Schofield. And I was very surprised to hear that uh, uh, the uh, actor playing Blake, Uh he was so into his role that the the paleness in his face 
was not digitally altered. Yeah, I, I heard yeah, that his, too. His face drained of all color. And I thought, first thing I thought, oh, that's makeup or that's some it's kind CGI. of CGI. No, I think you're absolutely right. He did that on his own. Right, yeah. It, could, it couldn't have been makeup because it's one continuous shot. It would have had to have been. Mm-hmm. CGI, but it wasn't. So yeah, no that yeah. that that was a that was a, a gut wrenching scene, and I was sad to see that character go. Uh, but you know what? Time moves on, and so do we. I, we I gotta, gotta say on. that was one of the biggest curveballs that I saw this movie. And again, like I've said this before in previous ones, I love when I don't see something coming. Um, there's there's another important point that happens when we meet uh, Mark Strong's character. Is there? Yes. Okay, go on. There is. Um, the the last thing that he says when he drops uh, Schofield off is make sure that there are witnesses, and this is planting mm-hmm. the seed that maybe he delivers it, but the orders aren't followed. Right, and and how many war movies or thrillers have we seen where the main guy will not give up power? Mm-hmm. Right? He'll say fuck right. that. Right, right, Be- because you know wartime is crazy time. I also want to call out the whole uh, moment when uh, Schofield is, I, I, I am so behind his passion in the pushing of the truck to get it out of the mud. Everybody's just standing around and he's pushing with all of his might and he refuses to give in and surrender and he just won't give up. And I felt so strongly for him how hard he was pushing to get that truck out of the mud and then eventually they get it moving. He is so driven at this point. I liked the character change that if you notice in the beginning, he wasn't really behind the mission. He he was like, why don't we just sleep and we'll do it a little bit later or, you know, shouldn't we take a break? as soon as Blake died it became his passion it became he's got to get this done and he's got to get that note delivered. well yeah he just watched his friend die man yeah so, so yeah. And, and that's the enduring uh thing that carries Schofield through is his promise to Blake not necessarily to you know deliver the the orders but his promise to Blake that is what pushes him yeah the other interesting thing I thought and again foreshadowing when Schofield finds the milk and yeah. it's, you know, it's so surprising. He finds this milk and you're thinking, okay, it's great. It's so odd. You know, he finds this milk and you don't realize that's going to play an important role later on. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to call it important. Well, but they said yeah, the baby wouldn't eat or drink anything. The we baby only wanted well, milk. Well, here's the thing. We didn't need the baby or the milk. Yeah. So that's just me. A destroyed canal bridge prevents the British unit from crossing and Schofield chooses to part with them. He uses what is left of the bridge to cross alone and comes under fire from a sniper. Exchanging shots, Schofield wounds the sniper and advances upon where he and the sniper shoot each other simultaneously. The sniper is killed, while Schofield is struck in the helmet and knocked unconscious. He awakens at night and makes his way through the flare-lit ruins of the town. After evading a German soldier, he discovers a French woman hiding with an infant. She treats his wounds, and he gives her his canned food and milk from the farm. Despite her pleas, Schofield leaves after hearing the chimes of a nearby clock and realizing that his time is running out. Encountering German soldiers, he strangles one to death and escapes pursuit by jumping into a river. The river carries him while the cherry blossoms fall. He is swept over a waterfall before reaching the riverbank. In the forest, he finds D Company of the 2nd Devons, which is the last wave of the attack, and the company starts to move toward the front, 
Schofield tries to reach Colonel McKenzie. Realizing that the trenches are too crowded for him to make it to McKenzie in time, Schofield goes over the top and sprints on the open battlefield parallel to the British trench line, just as the infantry begins its charge. He forces his way in to meet McKenzie, who reads the message and reluctantly calls off the attack. Schofield then finds Joseph, who was among the first wave and is bloody, but is unharmed. Schofield tells Joseph of his mission and that his brother Tom has died, passing on Tom's rings and dog tags. Joseph is deeply upset about his brother, but thanks Schofield for his efforts. Exhausted, Schofield sits under a nearby tree, looking at photographs of his wife and children. End movie. I don't want to start at the end, but are we sure that's his wife and kids? I thought it was his mom and sisters. It's alluded to oh so briefly once. Not that he has children, but that he has people back home. When he's talking about why his medals, yeah, he he found found it too difficult to have to say goodbye to them. It's also alluded to again when he's with that French woman and she asks him, "Do you have a wife and children?" And he never answers it. And so, him at that tree looking at that picture is supposed to be the answer to that question. Okay. I thought it was his mom, so. Well, you were wrong. No, I, I don't think I am. I think you guys are reading too much into it. Because it's not that fucking important. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so he leaves the people that gave him a ride. Now he's on his own again. And this, and this I think, is the biggest. This is where I saw the biggest similarities to Lord of the Rings, the movies. Um, just the way the town was set up. It looked like uh, when they invade in Two Towers, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, he's making his way through the the town. And what I found out later after watching it is that this all these scenes were lit by flares. And flares you, on wires, And yeah. you never see that in a film, right? Lighting is so crucial and so important to a film that, I mean, it took a lot of guts and a tremendous amount of preparation to pull off what they were pulling off because they lit the entire thing by flares, which was fucking amazing. All of those long shadows coming through the windows when the flares would go over, I, I, you know, as the shadows would rise up and envelop him in, in, in the night again, it, it was it was menacing. Yeah, they built little miniatures and then they built this lighting system that would show them precisely what the flare would look like, mm-hmm. how long it stayed in the sky, um, how long you had before it passed overhead, this, that, and the other. So again, just the amount of preparation going into this uh, was pretty phenomenal. Question for you. You're coming off that bridge and you're being shot at. Are you going to run at the sniper? Um. Well... He gets a couple of shots off, and it doesn't look like he hit anything, but I knew because of, well, the convenience, he probably wounded him. And um, I think you have to go confirm the kill. My thought was, he's running this building. Is there other soldiers in there? Um, I did read later on that it was common practice when the Germans pulled back to leave one or two people in sniper nests. So maybe he just knew that it was probably just one person, but I'm thinking he's running that building. There could be other soldiers in there as well as that sniper could just be down waiting for him. Yeah. And the way that the sniper was shooting at him, I couldn't tell where the sniper was coming from and where it finally does show up. Doesn't physically make any sense to me because it kept hitting the side of the bridge. I, I, I saw, I, I thought it was because of ricochets. Oh, maybe. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, maybe. 
So, and for a sniper, he was a bad shot. That's, well, <laughs> that was another thing I was thinking. That's oh, what another, I thought too. Another stormtrooper. Um, so he goes in, and I and so I think they stole I, from that movie too, is what you're saying. No, uh, apparently oh. everybody shoots like a stormtrooper. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's stealing or not. Well, Schofield doesn't. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so he gets up there, and I think I probably saw this uh, scene in the trailer, but uh, it kind of, I knew it was coming, and I knew it was going to happen, but when it happened, it actually kind of startled me, is when he kicks the door open, and then the German shoots him, and then he shoots the German, and then that's where you get your very first hard cut of this film. Who shot first? And it first? goes to blink. I Han, the, dude. Han always shot first. I, okay. I thought Han shot first. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you get your first hard cut of the movie. And this scene, though I could tell what was going on through the sound, but I couldn't see anything. So I just assumed that he was he was making his way up the stairs. He Does he make his way up the stairs or does mm-hmm. he go yes. down the stairs? He gets upstairs, he opens the door, and both guns go off. No, no, no! I'm talking afterwards. After he oh, gets shot, afterwards. he goes back down. Oh no, he he crawls back up the stairs. Oh, yeah. then why does the camera push out the window and he's on the ground already? All I know is that the camera and Schofield part, and then he is on the road, or or he is down below uh, on ground level again. Yeah. So because it was so dark, I just assumed he was walking downstairs. Maybe the but camera the, went upstairs while he was going down. Yeah, probably. My thought, too, was, and I really liked the way they cut this because, again, they're going with real time. You get knocked out. You wake up. It's almost instant. You know, you don't realize how much time has passed. So they don't give us any indication of how much time has passed except that it's just it's dark now. And I did kind of also feel, again, if they were going for giving us kind of a look into the mind and the feeling of Schofield, you know, he's easily got a concussion now. And when you have a concussion, you can lose passages of time. You can lose you know, a little bits of feeling. So he may have gone up the stairs and then gone back out, but he may not even remember going down the stairs. So maybe they were kind of giving us that impression. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're just kind of giving us that confused, dazed, you know, this is kind of what's happening. Yeah, or maybe it was just too dark and I couldn't tell what was going on and yeah. is what it is. Yeah, I got or it. it was written that way. It was so impressive how that how that looked. Dennis Gassner, he, he was the production person and... I, I am just so floored with how otherworldly other it looked going through that town. Yeah. And that was all built on a soundstage. So that was pretty cool. Now getting to the French woman part where he rolls into the window after he's being chased, rolls in the window and finds the French woman and the baby, you know, one of our first real downtimes in this movie besides kind of the farm a little bit. You didn't think that move, that part was necessary? No, not really. I think it slowed us down and... Didn't you want a break? No, not necessarily. I was ready for it to be over. Mm. I just thought it was it was nice to have a little bit of downtime. A little bit didn't make sense. But again, they were going for you know the short stories and the stories that were told. It was common to find people who were taking shelter in buildings. She didn't know who the soldier was coming in, but yet she still took the time to put pressure on his wound and take care of him and then ask him not to leave. Yeah, well, he left anyway. Yeah. So my thought was, now that he got his mission accomplished, do you think he ever went back and looked for her? Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what he did. Well, you're just being sarcastic. <laughs> what, what, what gave you your first clue, buddy? So I thought the camera work in, in, in this little basement area was gorgeous. Watching the uh, the, the slow uh, movement of the camera going around Schofield 
why is there no shadow on his face with the camera work? You know, there, it, it is fantastic that, that it, we should see a shadow from the cameraman because the boiler is behind him and in lighting up his face, and yet we move around him. I thought that was just brilliant. And they probably digitally took out the shadows if there were any in any of the part. But they did purposely film it the way they did to avoid the shadows. And typically Absolutely. and typically when you break the line and you do a 360 degree turn, you're gonna get shadows. So, I bet you in the tight corridors with those ones, I bet you they were digitally removed. I bet you a lot of that was digital. The one thing that I mean, I know you weren't a big fan of the scene, but the one thing that bothered me about this scene is I as I was watching it and they're having their little conversation, I'm thinking, you got German soldiers walking around looking for you and your guys are making all that noise. Well, I guess it it's all relative to where they are really yeah right or where they because she's been it it made it seem like she's been there for a little bit and so yeah. the baby's gonna cry at some point yeah so you know that, that's what i thought too now john i don't know if you heard it or not the the, the chiming of the bell tower mm-hmm. were you the able clock. to were you able to hear that when you were watching don yep. were you able to hear that when you were watching i watch everything with captions so captions told me that the bells were ringing i think i heard one or two of them and that's what told him he needed to get going yes it it, 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 i'm sure that you know schofield would have loved to have just stay here and just rest and be tranquil and happy and and he is warm and momentarily safe and then he is called back into duty with the chiming of that bells and knowing that it there is an imminent battle that is going to destroy thousand you know a thousand soldiers if not you know more right Right. and it pulls him back in and and off he goes and and this is where she tells uh, the french gal tells him uh about the river that'll take him all the way into where he needs to go Mm -hmm. and so he makes a break for it uh he starts running i sort of got this guy's always running for his life right well everyone's shooting at him he's running 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 did it bother you that he was running specifically in the middle of the area where it was most well lit i kept thinking if he just ran a little closer to the wall it was darker next to the walls he could maybe could have slipped by a little bit yeah but the guy with the steady cam wouldn't have been able to Mm. so they had to make sure that That he was easily that he was easily seen um no, I, uh, that scene alone, I think they had three different cameras on them. One of them was one of the ones that we talked about earlier where they took it off a crane, ran with them, put it back on a crane, and then sometimes it would have to be on a, uh, a lot of the running shots. They'd have to put the camera on a car or a motorcycle. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. But this is one of, those, one of those places where I knew they made a cut because when he jumps off the fucking bridge and lands into the water – Everything's a mess on the screen, so you can easily digitize that and make mm-hmm. that a cut scene, right? So it, it was little instances like that that I was going, oh, there's another cut. Oh, there's another cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, overall, it was fucking seamless. Mm-hmm. And so now he's in this river, and he's uh, floating down. And, and it, then we get the cherry blossoms. and then Falling uh, on his face. A, a, another moment of serenity. Yeah. yeah. And then he... And then he arrives where he needs Does to he be. Have to, is this where he had to climb over the dead body? Yeah, yes. th- this was a, this, this, you knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. But still, it's never easy to watch. And I kept thinking to myself, why doesn't he just swim around? Why is he going over the dead bodies? While they were filming this, they actually had to alert the locals not to be disturbed if they saw dead <laughs> bodies floating in the river. 
Uh, I wonder how much the extra got paid for laying in the water all day. Mm. All right, so he fl- uh, climbs over these dead bodies, and then we stumble upon... Well, and then he breaks down, right? He, oh, yeah, he cries. He, 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 he He's exhausted. Can't go on. Well, he's emo- could, mostly and mentally broken at this point. Could you imagine? I mean, just going back to him almost getting buried alive. Right, he's yeah. probably still trying and, to process and the, with that, and then the he loses part, his friend. Well, the worst part is he's got a cut on his hand still, and you know that's going to get infected. Oh my God! Yeah, the very yeah. That, so he gets cut on his hand, then he almost gets buried alive, and then he loses his friend, and then he meets a chick with a baby who he wants to start a family with. Oh, um, in the meantime, he got shot in the head. Yeah, he got uh, knocked out when he got shot in the helmet. He got shot in the helmet. Then what? What? What was the wound that she that the girl was dressing? Uh, when when he fell down the stairs. Yeah, and he he cut the back of his head. Yeah, he hit his. That's how I took it. His, he put he knocked his head really good on the stairs mm-hmm. as he went backwards. Mm-hmm. So got put, shot shot in the head, hit in the helmet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something but, like that. But I'm thinking he's got you know honestly he's got the cut on his hand and the other wounds and everything and he's in that water and the dead bodies. Do you know what kind of diseases and bacteria and everything in there? Plus the rats. And I'm thinking he's going to get out of there, but it's going to be kind of like atonement, where you get anything in those wounds back then, and you're pretty much a walking dead man. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, but no, he stumbles upon the second D unit, and. They're having a kumbaya moment, and this is where I thought, more fucking singing? Did John pick this movie? And I had to realize, no, it was The Professor. This is The Professor's movie. Now The Professor professor is picking musicals, so thank you for that, buddy. You're welcome. Um, I, I thought this was so beautifully shot as we come in and you see all of those soldiers sitting completely still and it's like what is going on but we hear the song coming in and we can't see who's singing and then eventually george slumps down just exhausted and he just rests against the tree and then we start moving our way through the different soldiers and as we move through the different soldiers now we can see the the soldier who's doing the singing wasn't that Pippin singing Edge of the Night or no I'm sorry that was that's wrong. Are you sure cuz I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty sure you're right dude. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Pippin and he was singing that song. That song that he sang in Lord of the Rings. Wait, what are we talking about? Lord oh, of the I'm Rings sorry, no. He was singing uh, Wayfaring Stranger was the name of the song. <laughs> but my and I'm sorry to interrupt professor but No he's my, not. My one issue and again little issues here and there but my issue with this scene was Nobody seems to even give him a second glance. This guy in disheveled, wet, you know, obviously out of his mind at this point, just stumbles into right where they are and almost passes out and nobody even just notices. No, yeah. Nobody he, fucking turns around and notices him. He was stepping he's on in the branches. Very back. He's stepping on branches. He's walking up on I'd people. I'd be worried about German soldiers sneaking up on them. Allow me to there's conti- just one over in the town just Allow me the river. to continue my point. Okay. So after the camera leaves the singer, then we see all of the faces of these young soldiers. And what has got to be on the mind on all of these young soldiers is that they are most likely facing death. And what is the likelihood that they are going to live through the next few hours? That has got to be weighing heavily on their minds. And I think that everybody, as we move through those different young young men, that we see that they are all faced with the very real possibility that they may not live through the day. Or if they do live through the day, 
what do those aid stations that they have seen before look like where you have people with limbs missing and these soldiers are alone in their thoughts as to what's coming next and then finally the camera just moves and we see that that uh schofield is just one of these soldiers and any one of these soldiers could be just like schofield sure gorgeous gorgeous shot and then they figure out uh schofield figures out where he's at this is where he needs to be and then the search is on for uh colonel mckenzie and he runs to uh guy after guy and he finds out that the offense has already started right so i mean the first wave has gone in the the first wave has already gone out and so now he's really under the gun and he's trying to find him and he fights his way and he makes it to colonel mckenzie and he didn't well first he had to jump up and run across the battlefield oh that's right because that's right because he had to go through the barracks and there was too many people so i was thinking to myself why not just jump up and run across? And he does, and it was a great shot. And this is the scene where he runs into an extra, and the Sam Mendes just kept it because it fits. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this is a powerful uh, shot, and the the score that's coming in with it, and just the sheer determination. This dude is hauling ass, right? Uh, what I didn't understand at first is when he gets up there, he kind of walks, and then he takes off, right? If mm-hmm. it were me, I would have got up there and just started running my ass off, right? But, you know, uh, so he does, he makes it to McKenzie and he goes in there, gives, uh, his, his spiel, his order from the general fighting his way in there. They wouldn't even let him in. Right. He had to fight his way in by any means necessary. And he did it. And, uh, he didn't need to worry about there being an audience because there were, Mm -hmm. and there was a bunch of people there. And I'm thinking to myself this whole time, just read the fucking letter, Dr. Strange. That's all you got to do is read the fucking letter. And well, finally he does. Follower. Well, well, there's that. Um, and he finally does. And he tem- tells them all to stand down. And at that moment was probably the first time in the film that I actually took a breath with Schofield. Mm-hmm. Because even when he was with the uh, French chick, there was always a cer- uh, uncertainty, right? A German soldier could have came in at any minute and ruined that parade. But this was the first time where he was, he had completed his mission and he could actually take a real breath. A momentary sense of relief. Yeah. And then he realizes, oh shit, I got one more thing to do. Yeah. My right. my initial thought was, okay, great. He got him to stop the advance, to stop the soldiers from going in. But that first wave has already gone out. So basically now, not only are they out there fighting, but they're not going to have anybody coming up behind them to back them up. So yeah. you can't really call them back because they're already out. They were all coming so, back. So they're all just going to get wiped out, the ones that were running out into the field. I don't know. You saw a lot of bodies coming over the berm of mm-hmm. of the trench line as mm-hmm. uh, Schofield were, is working his way mm-hmm. along the trench. There were definitely bodies that were pouring back over, wounded. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the, uh, the, as Schofield is going across trying to get to the general of the, I think it was a general he came across or some captain he comes across who's crying and just has basically lost his mind. Oh, that reminded me of another movie where that happens, but I can't. Lord of the Rings? No, it wasn't fucking Lord of the Rings, Dick. It was... uh, Platoon? Maybe? Yeah. I I feel like there's some war movies out there where the head guy in charge... Post-traumatic stress. He just breaks down and and, and can't be in charge. Uh, There was over, I guess... I mean, Aliens. It happens in Aliens, right? Those are your men, Corman. I read that uh, during World War One, there was over 300 soldiers who, for whatever reason, refused to fight. And a lot of them were like this gentleman who breaks down, 
just loses his mind, breaks down in tears and everything. And they executed most of those soldiers for not fighting. But later on, um, they gave them pardons posthumously. They pardoned these people who uh, they didn't realize at that time what PTSD was. Oh, that sucks because they still killed them. Yeah, they, they killed them. But yeah. When we were waiting for uh, the colonel to call the attack off, did you think that he was going to call the attack off? I thought he was looking for a reason not to call the attack off. I thought it was going to be 50. There was a 50 50 chance, right? Um, I could, I, I, in my head, I could see him saying, Lieutenant or, or Escort General. this soldier out. Yeah. Lieutenant Diane. We're a proceed as instructed or, or proceed as or follow as instructed. Um, but when he said, you know, pull him back, then you're like, oh, okay. So we did listen. Yeah, I did think, and I was remembering back to when the guy said, make sure you have witnesses that, and, you know, first he was kind of fighting it and he was kind of like not wanting to call back. And you kind of got the feeling like he's looking around the room that, can I get away with continuing it? Or now that everybody's heard that I've been ordered to call it off, I guess I have to call it off. I don't know about all that. I was just glad that he called it off. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's why I was thinking, you know, uh, two days later, someone else comes down and says, just kidding. We have to attack, attack, attack. That's what attack. he kind of said in his quote of, you know, that, you know, two days from now, they're going to tell me to attack. Right. Right. But, and they actually did. Um, they did push through that line. I think it took them till uh, 1919 is when they actually got through the German line. Oh, yeah. but they did end up having to advance. Yeah. So, so now he has one thing left to do. He wants to go find Blake's brother. No small task. Looking for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And he runs around going, Blake, Blake, Blake. And uh, he finds him. Richard Madden. Yeah. Uh, Rich, uh, was it Rob Stark? Yep. Rob Stark. Um, so, and, I, and I have to say, this moment was probably one of the only moments in the film that actually made me feel something for these guys. Um, this, this was a touching moment, and they did a good job selling it. Um, I felt... I felt bad that uh, he lost his brother. Especially when he says, oh, my brother's here. Where's my brother? Yeah, totally. That, that's what hit me. It kind of reminded me of when Luke says, where's Han? Um, but it, uh, it, was, it, was an, it was a genuine moment, and it was a really good scene. And like I said, it was the first time that you know, I felt a whole lot for these characters. Yeah, L- Lieutenant Blake's eyes totally sold that moment that he has been told about his brother passing. Yeah. And, and the, the other moment that I just thought helped drive that point home as to how broken there's two of them. One, uh, the way he continues to hold his left hand out with the dog tag and rings Mm -hmm. and the hand just stays out there, even though he's just standing there by himself. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is he asks Schofield for his name twice. Right. And, And who are you? Right. But then he asks again a few moments later, what's your name again? Right. He, I, I just thought it was delivered so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. So that scene, uh, they shot it at least 20 times and they ended up using the first take. Yeah. Um, and so he delivers the bad news and then he, now he has completed all of his missions and he just gets to be a soldier again, and now he finds himself with a, a moment or two. 
And so as he's walking to this tree, I was thinking to myself, oh, they're going to end it just like they began it. And they did. He sat down, closed his eyes, or looked at his pictures, um, and then the movie was over. Do you know the story behind the tree that he leans against at the end? Uh, I know a couple of things about it. The Apparently, the extras in the movie claimed that the uh, toilets were too far to get to between filming takes. You know how so, guys are. They don't just pee in an open field. So they didn't realize that they were peeing on that tree that he was leaning up against. <laughs> so it, there was it was covered in urine. They weren't they weren't told the significance of the tree. So they didn't want to take the long trip to the porta potty. They just went over to the other side of the tree. Right. So yeah. so when you you know I kind of read that before the end of the movie, and all I could think about when he was leaning up against that tree, looking at that picture, is ew. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what you were thinking. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Interesting tidbit. The the second point that I was going to make about the tree was that uh, uh, we have uh, Sam Mendes and uh, Roger Deakins, when they were scouting the different landscapes and looking, they both saw the tree and said, like, we have to end, we have to end at the tree because mm-hmm. that's where the movie started. Yeah, they were going for bookends is what they were going for. They wanted to start at a tree and end at a tree. The uh, the scene uh, when they first uh, Blake and Schofield go up into no man's land, mm-hmm. that scene they shot it at least forty, maybe fifty times. Somewhere along the way, something would go wrong. The flare gun wouldn't go into Blake's pocket. The cigarette lighter wouldn't light. Somebody would stumble, mm-hmm. and so they ended up having to shoot it again. And again, they spent a full day and just again. because of the cigarette lighting. Well, it was among other things, right? Mm-hmm. That's that was the problem of, of a longer take, having so many little things that could go wrong. Everything has to go exactly right. Yeah, I mean that's why you rehearse for six months prior to it. But when you're when mm-hmm. you're on the day, and it comes down to it, I mean you got to nail it or you do it again. So both of you like to make movies. Would you ever try to make a single take movie? Uh, you mean as as an honest single take or using editing? Either like this movie or like the good the take in Goodfellas. Um, I don't think you could do an entire movie. I don't think you could do You're an not entire. For that challenge? Too many things can go wrong. Too many things. Um, I think that if you if you plan it out and you are smart about it and you rehearse and you rehearse and you, you do it just like Sam Mendes did it, I think it can certainly be done. It was a new way of telling a story. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, but you know, for me, I, I sat there and tried to find where all the cuts were, which mm-hmm. took me out of it a little bit. The, uh, the movie John Wick three that we have just recently reviewed, I was referring to the knife fight that John Wick has in uh, that little museum place. And I said there were 40 something take or 40 something cuts that were used for the sequence, but the camera was backed up. And I thought that was really impressive. This movie has 40 something, 48 blends as they call them. So impressive that one scene has 40 something cuts. And then this movie has that, for the entire movie. Yeah, 48 yeah. Ed- edits, the whole entire movie. I also uh, was so impressed with the musical score. The music was 
so gorgeous having uh, like like when he's going through the town that, and, and he's being uh, he's frantically running from the gunfire trying to hide. Gosh, the music is just so beautiful. I I, uh, I, I was so impressed with the music. And I thought that um, it is something that um, they worked very, very hard on for the music to be what it needed to be to help convey, to help propel, to help uh, give a more of a solistic experience in the movie. I thought it was done very, very well. Yeah, the music was on an epic scale uh, to match the picture that it was uh, accompanying. And... Yeah, the mu- I thought the music was exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. So for me, it, it blended just right because sometimes you know the music takes you out of a movie, so you don't you know you hear the music and you don't pay attention to what's going on, or sometimes you pay attention and you don't even notice the music. To me, they just they blended seamlessly. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to rate this bitch? I'm ready to rate. All right, uh, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five. A five is a movie that you're ready to turn around and watch right now. You've just walked out of the theater. Man, I'm ready to watch that movie right now. That's going to be a five. A one is a movie where I saw it. I don't need to see it again. I don't want to see it again. And a three is going to be somewhere in the middle. You're ready to watch it again sometime. Or maybe somebody else wants to see it. Yeah, okay. And you have some movies that you just never, ever want to see again, and you are mad about it because you had to see it in the first place, and you feel like somebody owes you two hours of your life back. And that's a zero. That's a zero. We haven't given one of those out yet. I know, you but came it's... close on a couple of my picks. Yeah, well, can you blame me? Yeah. Why? Uh, all right, Professor, your movie, you're up. All right. Well, as I stated before, I thought that this movie is... So incredibly well shot. The, the, the direction that Sam Mendes had, the, uh, the, the, the musical score that uh, Thomas Newman has, and, and the uh, Roger Deakins, just a, a genius. You know, he has so many wonderful things that he's uh, done cinematography for. And, and the sets that uh, Dennis Gasner put together, I was so impressed. I was also totally impressed with... Uh, 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 Dean Charles Chapman and, and George McKay. George McKay, he played Schofield. I guess that he had a thing where at the end of every day's shooting, he would go around and say thank you to everybody on the set. Yeah, he knew all of their names. He knew the stories behind them. Don't interrupt. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was so impressed by this movie. It is, it, it is a fantastic movie, and... Uh, so much to gush about. I am comfortable in giving this movie a 4.5. Oh, there you go. A 4.5 from the professor. Would you like me to go next? Sure, buddy. Uh, this is not Lord of the Rings. Oh, God. Well, now my rating just went down. I know. Well, he fucking easily would have given it a 5. You should have let me continue on with my dream. Well, first, there's this, there, there's this ring. So there's these two uh, guys. I don't know. Did we ever see their feet? Were they furry? Uh, no, but they were covered in mud. That's for that's sure. True. And we do see their feet. Mm. Anyway, uh, I have said repeatedly before, war movies are not my thing. Period pieces aren't really my thing. Uh, heck, dramas aren't really my thing. But I found myself liking this movie. Maybe because it wasn't your typical war movie. 
It's not just about shooting and killing the bad guys and, you know, building up these soldiers only to run out and die, things like that. There was actually, you were drawn in to care about these two guys who were trying to do this mission to save all of these soldiers. You, you actually felt yourself in the same situations they were because you're following behind them during the whole situation. I also was drawn in by the fact that it was a mock single shot the whole time. And I kind of found myself, you know, especially in the beginning, trying to find where those cuts were and feeling a little challenged about, oh, do you think the cut was there? Or do you think the cut was there? Oh, that must have been where a cut was. Things like that, that I found I was paying more attention to the movie because of that. There were a few scenes here that are a little far-fetched and a little coincidental. You know, the plane just happens to crash right where they're standing, right at that farmhouse. Why did the German decide to aim his crashing plane right there? I don't know. You know, right at that time, you know, certain guy people coming out at the same time, that the soldiers showing up at the farmhouse happens to be at the same time. You know, things like that I thought were a little, little iffy. But it didn't kill the movie for me. It didn't destroy the effect or um, the immersion into the film. Now, again, storyline-wise, not my cup of tea, not the kind of thing that I really get into. So would I watch this movie again? For the story, probably not. Would I watch it because it's such a beautifully done movie and just watching how the director did it and hearing the music and how it was all put together. Yes, I actually do find myself wanting to watch the movie again for that reason. You know, I don't know if I'd watch it all the way through, but I would want to watch some of it so I can catch some more of the, oh, this must be where they did the cuts. For that reason, I'm going to go ahead and give this a 3.75. Okay. Wow, that that seems really high for... The reasons you gave it. Yeah. Well, I'm, okay. going, I'm basing it on the fact that while it's not my type of movie, I kind of do want to watch it again, but maybe not right away. Yeah. And he has said before that things that he can find the next time around compels him to want to watch again as opposed to just the story itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I get that. And I guess it comes down to even getting to that uh, next time around. Mm-hmm. Right. Which... There lies my problem. Yeah. <laughs> my turn. Uh, 1917, directed by Sam Mendez. Uh, it was shot beautifully, and it looked real nice. Uh, the story, the story was fine. You know, go go deliver this message. Stop a massacre. Very cut and dry. It was always going to be about the journey. It was always going to be about the two characters and the way Sam Mendes tells the story, uh, it engages you and uh, you can't help but watch and feel uh, the tense moments and uh, all the moments and the beats that you get are very deliberate and uh, it, it comes across that way. And, you know, for it to win the Academy Awards that it won, very impressive. I'm again, I'm still shocked that it didn't get best editing because it was it was virtually seamless. It virtually could have been a one-shot movie, and then that alone in itself could have you racking your brain, how did they do that? But with the help of computers and visual effects, uh, it became very possible, and you know, credit to those guys because they're the ones that, that did the real magic trick here. Um, 
that all being said, I'm not a huge war film guy. This did have a lot of elements to Saving Private Ryan for me. It had elements of Lord of the Rings. It just had a bunch of elements uh, that I've seen before. And I feel like for me and me alone, if you've seen one war film, you've seen them all. Um, I know that's not really a fair statement. That's just kind of how I feel about this. But what I did enjoy, again, was the way that uh, Sam Mendes tells the story. Uh, But that alone isn't going to make it. So I'm going to hurry out and watch it again. Um, Will I watch it again? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Am I in a hurry to watch it? Not by any stretch of the imagination. So because of that, um, I am going to give 1917 a 2.5. Right there in the middle. I am really surprised I gave it a higher rating than you. I'm not. I thought it was going to be the other way around. Oh, really? That's Yeah, I thought that you would be the higher and you would be the lower, and that's what I thought. If I didn't spend so much damn time trying to figure out where the fucking cuts were, I might have enjoyed it more. Well, I think you watched it as someone who makes films. That's how I watch every movie, dude. Yeah, and, and you analyzed it as that. It's a curse. You know, for me, I base it off of do I like the content or not. We're going to take this moment to remind our uh, listeners out there, come October, we're going to do something. Can you not hit the fucking wires all the time? We're going to do something a little bit fun in October, and we are going to talk about some horror films in uh, kind of a new take that we are, um, are going to get recording. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at any popular or even unpopular podcasting hosting site. I've put that bitch everywhere. Uh, they can find us at Facebook, Instagram. I don't think we have a TikTok yet, but uh, maybe that's next. We're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. All right. So uh, I just want to say thank you to our faithful listener out there. We really, Thanks, Ronnie. We really appreciate everybody who listens. And uh, for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you this. Ronnie has listened to every one of our podcasts. Mm -hmm. Zach has listened to every one of our podcasts. We now have two faithful listeners. Yes. I am so excited about that. Way to go. Who have you brought to the table? I have a few people that have listened to one, maybe two. Hey, that's better than nothing, man. The positive spin, right, buddy? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Everyone out there listening, if we suck specifically john please let us know so we can better our podcasts for you the listeners or if you'd like don to be a little bit nicer i think in the comments you should put is don too nice or is don a dick well we all know i'm a dick that's not the point the point is can i be more of a dick yes he said yes yes you can always there's always room all right fuck you both good night